Hello and welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Rob Pickles, here with Coach Connor. Coach Grant Holicky is a regular on our show, and he has coached athletes at the national and world level. He'll be the first one to say his success stems from his ability to connect with his athletes, not just a result of his technical knowledge. In a recent post in his newsletter, Holicky wrote, For me, a coach's knowledge and experience within a sport are less important than their skills with people. Maybe some have more experience than others or have different training or game philosophy, but they all have experience with the sport. The question is with their coaching style as it pertains to people around them. In this roundtable discussion, we're joined by two athletes who have worked with Grant over the years. Robin Carpenter, who currently races for Legion of Los Angeles, is taking his experience on the world tour into his own coaching practice. Starla Tettergreen has raced on the road for years and has now transitioned to ultra-distance gravel events. Today, our group will talk about the importance of the relationship between coaches and athletes. Additionally, we'll discuss why having a support network is important to all athletes, whether they're coached or not. So let's take a step away from science to focus on the softer side of coaching and let's make you fast. Hey listeners, we have exciting news to share from Hit Science, the leaders in high intensity interval training. Right now, Hit Science is offering a free course for coaches called The Science and Application of Endurance Training Using AI Platforms. This course includes Smart Coach AI and Hit Science driven workout suggestions for triathlon, running, and cycling events. Visit hitscience.com and enter the free course through the pop up window. Well, welcome everybody to another episode. We've got a full house here. We've got five of us on this episode. When's the last time we had that, Rob? Uh, never. Chris Case is going away party. Oh think, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. right. But we haven't done this often. We haven't. We did do uh, a big wheel race in the snow after that one, and I. It's not snowing out, so. That was last week. That was last week. Just for the record, <laughs> Boulder, Colorado. What was it June twelfth? We got oh, two yeah. inches. I was in Finland. It didn't snow there. Yeah, you suck. <laughs> you knew why you were leaving. Well, this episode, we're going to talk about something we've mentioned a lot on the show, but I think we really want to take a deep dive into this because this is really important. It's also really relevant right now because we're seeing more and more the rise of uh, training plans based on artificial intelligence, and you're seeing a lot of athletes say, well, that's great. I'm just going to go and get this pre-built training plan that's been customized to me. It also poses a challenge to coaches because coaches who have made a career, and Grant, you were bringing this up, out of just building training plans, well, now you have competition. So if you're going to stay in the coaching business, that communication, that personal side is really important. So let's spend an episode because we've talked, we mentioned this many times, why is it the personal side of coaching is so important? And Grant, do you want to start us with any thoughts? Because this was your, my your idea. idea. Yeah, um, I think I think the biggest thing is that to me, coaching as a profession is different than training as a profession. If you're a professional trainer, you're going to go out, you're going to write training plans, and that's about all you're going to do. And I used to joke that it's akin to horse training. You're going to go out and make the horse run. You're going to do this. It's all very based on science. But I'm sure there's horse trainers out there that would call me up and say, no, they have personalities. You have to be careful. You have to do X, Y, and Z with a horse as well. And so we definitely have to do that with athletes. 
And that's the difference to me between training and coaching. Coaching brings in the personal side of this. It brings in the holistic interest in the athlete and the two-way conversation and the relationship. So I think that's really important. And that's what I've been banging around in my head recently is, yeah, the AI thing, but just in general, what is the difference between a trainer and a coach? So really important question to, to ask and to help us today. So we have a couple coaches in the room, but let's introduce Grant. I mean, these are they're two people you know well. Yeah, these are two people I know really, really well. And I'm going to let Robin and Starla both introduce themselves. Robin, why don't you go ahead, let everybody know who you are and why you're here. <laughs> hi, hi, all. Thanks for having me. My name is Robin Carpenter. I'm uh, 30 years old. I'm a professional road cyclist. I've been kind of one of those for pretty much all of my, you know, adult life. I currently race for Legion of Los Angeles, and I actually just started to coach athletes this year. It was a decision I made. I've been thinking about tossing around for a couple of years now, trying to figure out, you know, if it was something I was interested in. And I've got six athletes right now. I'm actually very excited to learn a bit on today's show. And Starla? Hi, so I'm Starla Tettergreen. Let's see, I'm 42, if that's correct. I might be 43, maybe. I have, I've lost count at this right? point. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I've been racing professionally for, oh gosh, we're coming up on, I think, 20 years. Um, started my career doing criterium and road racing, stage racing, raced on UCI teams, raced all over the world, and have transitioned over to gravel and mountain bike racing. I'm part of the Lifetime Grand Prix series and spent a lot of time um, coaching like skills clinics and things like that to help empower women and get more comfortable on the bike and give them a sense of purpose and belonging that they do belong in this space. And I also run a program called Distance to Empty which is my privateer program that I race under. But then we also have a program that helps get Colorado-based women on bikes when they wouldn't be able to otherwise. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, let me hit all of you with my first question. Maybe let's address this first from the coach side and then from the athlete side. Why is coaching and training more than just a training plan? And maybe let's talk about this grant first from, from that coach side. Well, I think let's just keep it really simple. Trevor, you walked in here today and said you're in a brain fog. I am in a complete brain fog, as right. you probably noticed. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't sleep last night. You know, um, Rob came in here barely, barely fresh off a plane from Finland. And so a million different things that could be going on in an athlete's life. And some of them are physical and some of them are emotional, but they're all going to have an effect on how they ride the bike that day or how they swim or how they run or how they do all of those things. And if we live just in the data and we're living just in the training side of things, we're really discounting those pieces of the puzzle. We're discounting what's going on at home. We're discounting fatigue that comes from job stress, whether that be professional cyclists and their job stress or master's athletes and their job stress as a dentist. You know, we can't discount those things. The personal aspect of an athlete is super important. And then purely on, the, that's maybe the emotional and mental side, but purely on the physical side, every athlete approaches training and responds to training in a different way. We know well from the research that there are quick responders and there are slow responders. There are people that are going to do better with high intensity work versus low intensity work. There are people that are coming to the sport like 
myself, who carry a little bit of extra muscle and a bit more mass, we're going to have to train these people differently. And the one that knows the person the very, very best is themselves. And that ability to turn to that athlete and ask that ability to get feedback from that athlete, to really understand why that athlete is doing something, allows us to train them better. And I think that that's a piece of the puzzle that I will always come back to from the profession of coaching is that people skills, the ability to teach these parts of the puzzle aren't necessarily viewed as crucial in the coaching profession. They're not viewed as the big pieces to the puzzle, whereas to me, in a lot of ways, they are the biggest piece of the puzzle. This is everything that coaching is about. I think something to consider, and and I don't want to be overly reductionist, but when you say the word trainer, Grant, I think of that individual who works in a gym, a, a fitness gym, and they might be helping a client uh, just try to gain some general strength, maybe look better on their wedding day. Who knows what it is? All of those things are terrific and they're very noble. The things that the listeners to this podcast, the people in this room that they tend to be interested in are the endurance athletes. And those are two very different subsets of people. On the endurance athlete side of things, something that we have to consider is that these activities consume and engulf somebody's life and their psyche and everything that ultimately uh, counts as that as a person. And that's where it becomes really important that coaches are able to integrate all aspects of that life together. It's a very different relationship with that client, if you want to call it a client, as opposed to the person who's working in the gym and, and helping that person through uh, proper strength training, proper form, helping them achieve those goals, very, very different needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we look at the, uh, on the level of somebody like Starla or Robin, this is their livelihood. This is everything that their life goes on. I mean, we have enough trouble as coaches or as dentists or as doctors or lawyers separating work life from home life. When you're a professional athlete, that gets even harder, right? They meld together. There's no way around those two things. You, you get in a crash or something goes poorly on a race. You come. It's hard not to bring that home. That's your livelihood. You're worried about your contract for next year. You're worried about your future. These aspects have to be taken into consideration. And it's very, very easy not to. It's very easy to look at athletes and go, well, I'm going to train them in a vacuum. This is the way it should work. And just because it should work that way, it doesn't always work that way. And if we're overly caught up in the should piece, then we're really going to be trapped going down the line. Well, Robin, you're in your first year of coaching. I'm assuming every one of your athletes has followed your plan to a T without question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, it's it's funny because one of the, the things I realized way early on was just how impossible of a job it is to coach somebody if they don't ever give any feedback. Mm -hmm. um, like the number one thing that I tell my athletes so far is like, please, please write comments in like anything at all. It could be two words, uh, just anything to let me know, like how you felt. Did it go all right? Do you think it went all right? Do you think it went poorly? Uh, like, did you even do it? <laughs> that whole communication side of things is what Grant's talking about, where it just lays the foundation for all the rest of the sort of aspects of this lifestyle sport or, you know, these endurance lifestyle sports. So I think one of the things I'm really interested in, because I know it from my angle, but I was never that 
good of an athlete. But I'm really interested, Starla, in and then back to you, Robin, after after her, is this idea of what why is it important from the athlete's point of view? You know, that relationship piece, you know, I can look at it from a coach and say, okay, this is important, this is important, and this is important, but I may turn around and have athletes go, no, no, none of that's important. You're just full of it, Grant. But, you know, why is it important from your point of view and, and what what matters the most? Yeah, I mean, the communication part is key, I think, in training. Like, the numbers are great, the workouts are great, but none of that matters if, like, if you give me a workout and I look at it and I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to be doing these intervals. But if I don't have a full understanding of why I'm doing them and what it is meant to accomplish, then it's like kind of what's the point? And so I, I think the communication between the athlete knowing exactly what, why they're doing the workout, why they're doing the intervals, why it's developing them in like a race scenario or just an overall rounding you out as an athlete scenario, it's, it's kind of pointless. And so probably what you were saying is like the comments is so important. Like I just had this conversation with a couple of other athletes that I know where they feel like their coaches are failing them. And I'm like, well, have you actually communicated with your coach why, why you feel like you're failing or you're not progressing? I'm like, it's more up to you to communicate with your coach what's going right, what's going wrong versus, I mean, you just going along, trudging along, doing the workouts and not seeing the progress. If you're not telling the coach that it's not working, I mean, they're just working blindly. And if they're not hearing from you and they're not getting the feedback, they're just guessing. And so I think that communication aspect is the most important part of the coach-athlete relationship because like if I'm having a bad day, I'm not feeling well, or I have a ton of stress in my life and I can't mentally go into a workout and nail it, then I feel like I'm failing. And <laughs> then I'm, you know, messaging Grant. I'm like, put me back together because mentally <laughs> I'm falling apart. And even though I'm like been doing this for 20 years, I know if I just miss one workout, it's not the end of the world. And I'm, you know, not starting from ground zero, but I just need to have that communication with Grant to tell me you're fine. Take a rest day. It's only going to do you, you know, more good than bad by taking a rest day. And so it's just like having that communication and that confidence in what I'm doing and what my coach is, you know, supporting me in doing is just absolute key. I so agree with the the needing to know why in in some cases. Sometimes it's like if you're you're in a really focused environment like a training camp or something and someone's telling you to do something you just sort of buckle down and do it because <laughs> we're, you know, you're you know that everything's going to be put getting pushed to its limit um and like that's kind of like that's an overarching why. But the having that consistent motivation to get out there, like it really helps to know sort of what the coach's goals are for that workout. And it's also another funny thing about the comments is that I, you know, love comments, but then I go and look back sometimes at my old training. Cause you know, you have this training peaks diary that I've, you know, goes back to 2009, right. It's uh, and I'm sure we all, we all have one of these and you can go back and look at this and look at when you had a big success or when you, when you felt really good, and I get frustrated with myself for not having written in comments, you know, yeah. three, four, <laughs> yeah. six, eight years ago when I know that, like, I was feeling really good. I wonder I wonder what I did, like, leading up to that day to, like, to, to feel that way. And then I go back and look. I'm just like, oh, like, no comment, no comment, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> no heart rate, like, nothing. Oh, God, what am I doing? 
how do I recreate this? It's just, it's, a, it's such a useful tool, even in hindsight, later on down the road. Yeah, Grant's always been a great communicator. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to shift that question a little bit and just ask, you know, not every athlete is coached. Is that personal relationship, is some sort of personal relationship still important for athletes who are on their own? Do you feel an athlete can be successful just following a, a training plan without having somebody to, to bounce ideas off, share their feelings with, to talk about how things are going? I think they can, but I also think, as one of my favorite things to say on this podcast, it depends. You know, what are their goals? What are they trying to do? At the highest level, I think it's awfully hard excuse me, your highest level. It is awfully hard to go out there and just follow a training plan and think that you're going to be okay, that you're going to reach that highest level because by nature, we tend to doubt things. We tend to look for anomalous events. We tend to try to explain those anomalous events. I've been coaching for 30 years and if I go out there and I try to purely train myself, like I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. Um, I always do too much. Always. If I go out and I really lay a plan out in front of me and then am able to look at my plan objectively week in and week out, I'm going to then make better choices. But if I just set that plan two months out, walk away, there are pitfalls all over the place because it's hard to know when the stress is going to come in your life. It's hard to know how that's going to influence your total fatigue. And, and then one last little thing that I'll throw out there, we bring this up all the time. We bring up um, SDT, the self-determination theory, but relatedness is such an important part of the self-determination theory as is competence. Really, it's really difficult to see competence in ourselves. It's really hard to look at something and go, you know what? I ripped that up. I'm a rock star. You know, and I say that every once in a while about myself, but it's not that often. Self-praise stinks. So, no, I like self-praise. I'm good at <laughs> self-praise. But I'm also really good at self-criticism. Really, really good at self-criticism. And I think most high-level athletes are, or most striving athletes are. That's how we get better. So I think that that feeling of competence, that helps to come from somebody that you trust and that you believe in and that it's objective. You know, one of my one of my all-time favorite music lines is nobody loves me but my mother and she could be jiving too. And I think that there's some of that like friendship pieces that aren't good enough. Family pieces that aren't good enough. I go home and I go, "Hey, honey, I had a terrible workout." My wife goes, "You're fantastic." <laughs> you know, "You're awesome. Why are you upset?" And Robin's laughing cuz I know he gets this at home. <laughs> I was just telling this to my family yesterday cuz you know, you crash and then everybody wants to know how you're doing. And I was just telling my mom, I was like, look, I can't trust you guys at all because no. I've successfully inured you over 15 years to this, to the point where you think as long as I'm moving on the side of the road, <laughs> that everything's hunky dory. <laughs> yeah. And then the other piece of that puzzle is relatedness. It really helps to be around people that think the way you do, that are trying to do the things you're doing or have helped people do the things you're doing. So going that down that path of going, you know, I'm not in this alone is really crucial. And I think there's a million different ways you can take that conversation, but feeling like you have support feeling like you are doing this for a reason and you're getting better. Those are things that can come out of the numbers, but the numbers are very mercurial, right? You can go do the same workout on any two days of the year, be significantly stronger the second time you do it. And there's a million reasons why the numbers might not be higher. 
Yeah, Trevor, I think that your question ultimately revolves around what we define success as. And I think that for a lot of athletes, success is a number. It's a certain FTP, it's a certain weight, it's a certain place in a race. And in that regard, sure, you can probably do it on your own following a training plan. But I think, in my opinion, success is more around reaching your potential as an athlete. That's a little bit more open-ended, and it might not be that number. It could even be higher than that number. But also doing that with happiness. And I think that if we bring in that definition of success, it becomes really difficult to go about this on your own. I think oftentimes athletes that try to do everything by themselves, following a training plan, making their own decisions, that person carries a lot of stress and sport becomes something that's significantly more difficult than it ought to be. You talk about joy a lot, Grant. I think the joy oftentimes goes away because it becomes solely about achieving this goal. Don't make the goal not happy. Make the goal am happy. Right. Great. I, I don't want people to live their life that way. Well, something that you mentioned before, the subjective versus objective side of things, I think that that's really important. You know, if people just believe that a coach is only good at writing training plans, then listen to this one point. You cannot evaluate yourself appropriately. And you can walk into a room and just start talking and 10 people around you can all be, oh, he's overtrained. And that <laughs> athlete is like, I don't think I'm doing enough. You know, it, it's amazing how every, you take that outside look, it, it's a totally different world. You can't do it yourself. I've tried. I've never actually been coached by anybody and I probably should be, but I just haven't because I'm too independent or something. Maybe I'm too cheap. Who knows? That's it. <laughs> I think we hit the nail on the head there. Anyway, I digress. I am so bad. And I have tried for 20 years to be and understand myself as objectively as possible. And I still stink at it 20 years later. <laughs> and I know a lot to know about sports science and athletes and coaching and everything. And if I struggle with it, trust me, other people are going to struggle too. But really the other side and what I do think is ultimately more important, Grant, is the community side. We all need somebody in our life, right? And, and hey, maybe it's not the person that's writing your workouts for you. Maybe it's your physical therapist. Maybe it's your mental skills coach. But we all need someone to be there. We need our groups of friends, right? We need our community around us. And I think ultimately that makes everyone's life a bit happier. Hey, Past Talk listeners, this is Trevor Connor. Wouldn't it be cool to decide what Rob and I are going to chat about on an upcoming show? Or how about we answer a question on polarized training you're dying to know? What about a 30-minute Zoom call with Rob or me on your favorite sports endurance topic? This is all possible when we become a Fast Talk Patreon member. We have four monthly membership levels to fit your level of support. If you enjoy Fast Talk, help us stay independent in dishing out your favorite sports science topic by becoming a Fast Talk Patreon member. You can join us at patreon.com slash fasttalkpodcast. So Grant, I have to share this with you. I was out for a ride yesterday with Giancarlo, who's a, a very strong local rider. He's raced professionally. He's a coach himself. And we were talking about coaching yesterday. And he said, you want to know how you can identify a bad coach? I said, how? He goes, they never use the words, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't lie, he said that and I cringe because I'm like, <laughs> I ride Grant so hard for always saying it depends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least I got one category where I'm a good coach. <laughs> um, so, like, I think all this stuff's really, really crucial. And, like, but here's a question for Robin and Starla. Like, what do you depend on your coaches for? What, Where does that personal relationship really factor in 
for you guys with your coach. And, and as a follow-up to that, as you're answering that, can you answer this? Have you ever been self-coached throughout your career and made the transition to working with a coach? And can I also point out that Grant is actually following the outline. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. I, I Yeah, I hit my head. <laughs> it wasn't you, Robin. I hit my head. <laughs> yeah, so I've I've never been self-coached. I've I would be terrible just <laughs> based, I mean, based off of the fact that it's like, mm-hmm. I never, yeah, like I would be training way too hard. And cause that's what I would be questioning constantly. And I've seen this in so many other athletes is, you know, like they see what other people are doing and they're like, gosh, they're, you know, they're doing 30 hours a week. I'm only doing 10. And so it's like, you're always comparing yourself with other people and you're like, I'm never doing enough work. And so that is why I would never self-coach is because I'd always be like, well, maybe I'll just do one more hour or maybe I'll just do five more hours or, you know, trying to hit certain numbers. But where does the relationship really fit in? Why is that so important for you as an athlete? To keep me in control, mostly. (laughs) No, I mean, it's so important to me. I mean, and the reason actually I started working with you is because I'm coming back, you know, from a huge health crisis where, I have zero confidence in myself and my abilities just because I don't know how my body will react on any given day. And so having that relationship with you to help me navigate that both in the physical training, but also the mental training aspect of it to be kind to myself, to be patient with myself, and to just help me navigate the really rough waters that it can be. And so having that, just that relationship to help give me that confidence that I am doing the right thing, that I am resting when I need to, I am going hard when I need to. And then not being obsessed with the results anymore. Because like when I was like on a team, it was absolutely results based. And it was that worry about your contract and all of that. But now that I'm a privateer and I have all my own sponsors that we actually have a relationship where they care about me and they care about what I'm doing and building. It's more now about me continuing to grow as an athlete and show others that they can do really hard things, even though there's a million obstacles in their way. Um, And so having that relationship with your coach to navigate all those things more than just the numbers is, I think, more important than the numbers training plan. So Robin, I know for a fact that you (laughs) self-coach and have done so. Did you do so before and after we worked together? Uh, Not before, no. Okay. Wait, so what you're saying is you ended coaching Grant drove you away from... Yeah, there's there's only one way to read that. (laughs) (laughs) Just going backwards a little bit that uh, the phrase is compare and despair, right? When you're looking at everybody around you, and especially in the the age of Strava and the non-linear timeline algorithm in which they show you things, if you're cruising around on that website, all you're going to see are the activities that have the most kudos um, or the most interested activities. And guess what? I get the most kudos on is any ride that's over 80 miles. And that's all that you're going to see on that timeline. I see it myself, and I've talked with teammates about this over and over again is all you see, all you remember, like on a day-to-day basis or a semi-long-term basis is the 
the extremes, right? And you see, oh man, that guy did a 30 hour week. And so, and then you see that, that guy over there did a 30 hour week and you think, well, man, why am I just such a schlub over here only doing 25? I'm clearly all of my competitors are, are doing more than me and I need to do more. And it's just such a, it's such a common problem with cyclists, at least that I've found is everybody, no one's like lacking for motivation and wanting to be better, but knowing when to, to lay off is, is easily by far the hardest, the hardest part, when to, when to take it easy, when to recover. And having a coach is, is having that objective outside feedback is kind of the only way. I feel like every time I've come to, to Grant or another coach that I had in the past and said, oh man, I just don't understand what's going on. Like, am I, am I fueling correctly? Am I eating? Like, I think I'm doing everything right. And they're just like, why don't you just why don't you just lay on the couch for a day or two? And it, 99% of the time, it solves all your problems. Um, we are just consistently trained both mentally, well, just mentally trained to, to constantly be pushing the envelope and constantly be, be look, overdoing it just that little bit. And it's, it's easy to get uh, too wrapped up in that. I agree that that's a really important point that one thing a coach really helps you do is stay focused on what you need to stay focused on. Because as you said, it's very easy as an athlete, particularly if you're self-coaching, to get caught up in things that are less important. Like what are your numbers? What's your CTL? You know, I can give you an example of an athlete I work with. He just had his big race this weekend and he's in his mid fifties, you know, has a bunch of buddies that are also in their forties and fifties. And they love to ask him, what's your CTL? <laughs> and I keep him around 70 and all his buddies are up around 110, 120, absolutely killing themselves. And when they hear what a CTL is like, no way. And you know, they, they get on his case and he's got to get that higher. Well, this race this weekend was, it was a big race and he finished second in the 50 plus, but the guy who won the 50 plus had traveled pretty far to come to this race and, and was like basically still semi-pro. He was a ringer. He was a ringer. But he was, you know, there was a whole pro category there and they all started together and, and my guy was, was fifth overall. And uh, all his buddies with 110 CTL got popped in the first hour. Oh, yeah, they did. And, you know, he's felt that pressure from them to get on board with that number. And I've always, you know, this is not to give myself a pat on the back. This is just one case where it did work out where I was like, that's not what's important. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. It's just that like, I almost got to the point personally where I wore it as a badge of honor, right? Like knowing that I could only do 10 hour weeks or knowing that I was never again going to see, I had kids. I was never, ever going to see a CTL over 75 again in my life or 80 and 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 this doesn't even bring in the problems with those metrics for a lot of individuals and uh, especially if you're not doing high volume but just really almost trying to wear it as a badge of honor that says you know what I'm doing this in spite of my low CTL or in spite of my low hours of a week and just one thing to throw out there to kind of everybody and this is going along a lot and I think so often my job as a coach is not to push athletes harder it's to pull the reins on them it's mm -hmm. to get them to slow down I mean we talked so many times on this show about how important rest is and how important the numbers are but like to me so much, so often the importance of the numbers is making sure that they're going easy enough 
not to make sure that they're going hard enough, right? The importance of the training plan is to make sure they're resting enough, not to make sure they're training enough. We can all train plenty. That's not really what I'm worried about. Yeah, Trevor, you had mentioned the word focus. And in my mind, that brought up something a little bit different. And that is, as a coach or as a sports scientist, there is so much knowledge and information out there. There are so many things you can do. You can take Mm -hmm. one workout and you can change the intensity, you can change the rest, you can change whatever, infinite number of variables. You have uh, the Norwegians doing this brand new you know, supposedly training method. Brand new. Brand new. And and it's hard as an athlete, you look at all of this, just like Robin, as you're talking about Strava, you look at all of this. Oh, well, Robin's doing high intensity interval training. Starla, she's doing the new Norwegian method. Like, God, I don't know what I should do. But the coach is in a different position, right? And they're able to say, hey, my job is to always be up on the latest and the greatest and to make the decision of, is this the appropriate thing for this athlete? It might be, or it might not be, right? But the coach is in the position to do that because that's what they have to worry about. The athlete has to worry about executing. But if you're constantly worried about executing and also updating, and you're always questioning, oh man, well, I did two by 20 today, but that person was doing two by 30. Maybe two by 30 is actually a better workout. Mm -hmm. As the athlete, you shouldn't be worrying about that because then you can't execute well. So that's the focus that I was thinking about is distilling the information, distilling the recommendations to something that person can take and do well with. And as we know, when you're out with your buddies or talking with your buddies and they do a harder workout than you, they never laud that over you. No, 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 no. They never talk about it either. I don't talk about my good work. It's fully, fully a running joke amongst me and my teammates and old teammates to like compare CTLs. Like, what's your CTL, bro? Tell me your CTL. Because it's so it's such a meaningless interpersonal number. It has nothing to do with comparing yourself to anybody else. Your number has I feel like it's it's gotten blown out of proportion, but like it's you at one ten could be outer trash and somebody and you at, at sixty is great. And it's just it's so different person to person. It has and it's fundamental. It's like, do you change your your set FTP value on Trading Peaks <laughs> ever? You Maybe you don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, ever change no. mine. So <laughs> it's going to be a completely different number relative to anyone else. Does anybody compare recovery scores? That might be what I use more on Training Peaks than anything else. Oh no, I'm thinking about like like bragging rights between friends. <laughs> oh, you know, this is this is what I'm picturing: two guys smoking yeah. up on the couch, going, "Dude, I'm <laughs> so much more recovered than you." <laughs> It goes the other way. It's like how 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 low did you get in uh, exactly at the yeah. end of this stage race? I got to negative seventy five. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that's what Whoop brought into the equation. Hey, I'm at two percent. Good for you, idiot. Like what you do yeah. wrong here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, me and my training partner would both use Garmin, the Garmin watch uh-huh. for our tracking, and we do that like that comparison all the time, like what is your recovery day? I'm like, I'm a one. And she's like, well, I'm a five. <laughs> and it's, it's just in joking. But yeah, my favorite thing is when Garmin tells you how long you should wait to recover. Oh my before God. You oh my gosh. So good. Good. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. need 72 hours. You should or- take five days off. You well, moron. My, my favorite one, I started my Garmin and it wasn't picking up my power meter. So I Stop. ended the workout. Yeah. I had a two-second workout, and it told me I needed 48 hours of recovery. <laughs> well, well, that's what that's what happened when we were in Portugal. Somebody, um, we had to ride from the hotel to the start of one of the stages one day, and you had to restart your track 
you know? So yeah. you ride the three miles and then you get there and you start a new thing. And Garmin, ride 10 minutes, 72 hours of recovery. Everybody's <laughs> like, oh no, you know, I'm screwed. This is, yeah. this is the perfect encapsulation of the uh, what we opened with, with the, the AI coaching movement, yeah. Yeah. right? Is uh, yeah. if you just have a little bit of bad data in there, everything gets thrown out of whack. And it's hard to hard to pinpoint where that goes. If I actually followed what oh, the, the watch told me, I would have a rest day almost every single yeah. day. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely. And it, it could be cool. You know, we we love to see the the integration of data and like we all love data, right? We all love power. We like we love heart. We love being able to see this stuff um, in hindsight and compare numbers and see how we're improving. Um, but there's just limitations, and in a sport that is such a such a lifetime sport, such a lifestyle sport, there's there's a huge component of like human contact that's necessary. Um, and I wanted to go answer that question about the self coaching because I think that's really relevant, and I don't want to don't want to like fake anything here because I have been self coaching myself for a couple of years um, after working with Grant. And don't get me wrong, I loved working with Grant. We we worked together for I think like a year and a half. And I made this decision that, and it's, it's, the irony is astonishing because it was right at the end of 2019 where I was on the road for seven months out of the year and I probably had 80 race days. And I thought, man, all I do here is race and recover. Like it's, I, I train maybe for six weeks out of the year from November to mid-December and that's about it. Like, I think I could probably figure out how to do this on my own. And then 2020 happened. And I did the most self-directed riding and training uh, that I'd ever done in my entire <laughs> life. Um, you can ask Grant that, uh, you know, he's still a listed coach on my account. And I check in with him fairly often uh, just to bounce ideas back and forth and see if I'm maybe being a moron or uh, <laughs> even most recently um, after crashing at Spartanburg, I was like, hey, man, I clearance to race nationals in in eight weeks and i have five weeks to train you got me a got a three three sentence paragraph for me like help me out here what do you what do you think is sort of uh the right way to go about doing things and he had a a, a totally sort of different approach than i had for myself and i think it's you know well up until yesterday I actually had paid <laughs> off significantly um to be listening to somebody else his advice was ramp CTL as fast as yeah, possible. Yeah, 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 and and let's get as low as we can on Whoop. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> no, but I think I one one point to make on that, and I think one of the things that you know, Robin and I didn't work together that long, but it is interesting that we've been in contact longer post that coaching relationship than we were when we were coaching athlete, and probably you like interact in ways that are really really important long after that relationship was over. And I think that that is one of the things that I really pride myself on or want to pride myself on as a coach is that those relationships continue. That, you know, Robin it might be calling me for cycling advice, but every once in a while I hear from with coaching advice. And he doesn't coach with my group. He's out on his own. And, and But I am all for trying to help that. I want to try to foster that. I want more coaches and better coaches in the business. And He's got a bright future at that. And so I, I really think that interaction and that ability to help and that personal relationship, that rapport is such an essential part of the the whole thing. I'll plug it for you if you won't, Grant, because your, uh, your newsletter, I think, is a valuable resource for anybody who's in the coaching business. And I've already learned quite a lot from your uh, 
from your three or four that have come out so far? My rants. Your, your Ted Lasso one was my favorite. <laughs> and that's one that's really relevant to this episode. You're talking about we have a lot to learn from Ted Lasso because... Hold on, wait, you guys actually read grants? Oh, <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, isn't As a matter of fact, I, I have that one right here and I almost was going to read a paragraph <laughs> from it. But everybody should check this out because... I haven't personally seen Ted Lasso. I kind of oh, want to watch it now. It's but. amazing. It's so heartwarming. Like I It'll, either, well, almost every episode I cry and I laugh my head off. Really? Oh It'll my warm gosh. the cockles of any icy heart. Absolutely. <laughs> well, It'll be to, perfect for to, Rob and Trevor. There we go. <laughs> But it, hold on, wait now. It's an Apple TV product. He Trevor will never watch it. <laughs> well, that's my issue. That's why I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> You you point out though that he doesn't really have any technical knowledge. Right. Yeah. It was all the personal side, but how successful he could make this team really focusing on that personal side. And well, I think that's important. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I remember when I started as a swim coach, we would really poo-poo those guys that didn't come from a real swimming background. And then I got found myself in this middle part where I was not a star swimmer. I was good, but I was not spectacular. I maybe made nationals once or twice, but you know, I was not going to the Olympics. And here I was really wanting to coach and felt like the fact that I wasn't phenomenal made me a better coach. And, I, and, and as I've moved through my career, I've found that really the experience with the sport may matter less than the ability to interact and understand the things that go with that sport. Man, I, I love to pull these 80s references, 90s references when I'm on this show. Teenage Ninja Turtles was one, but I'm going to go Days of Thunder. I'm going to go Days of Thunder on this one where he asked Tom Cruise how he knows, how did he learn to drive? And he said, ESPN, it has really good coverage. And they all look at him and lose their mind. But with how much you can watch cycling these days, with how mm -hmm. much time you can spend very immersed in the tactical aspects of what's going on in cycling, yes, it really matters to have done it to an extent yourself. But that experience within the sport maybe becomes less and less important as the relationships becomes more and more important. When you're starting out, the relationship's important, but doing something, some aspect of training is going to give a huge response. But as we know, as time goes on under load, time goes on under training, those improvements become smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually we get to a point in our life and you know, I'm here, I'm at this point, and Robin, you might be the only one in this conversation who's really, really not at this point. Sorry, Starla, but we get to an age where our goal <laughs> is don't get worse. You know, it's like I, I'm at 50 and I joke a 49 and 351 <laughs> so days. close. <laughs> but by the time this comes out, I'm going to be 50. But I haven't, I, I don't think my You are reaching the age where it's not trying not to get worse. It's you're getting worse. Yeah, yeah. Just try slow not to get, try slow down getting worse. But my, my FTP or my, you know, what I use really hasn't changed in 15 years. And I think there was a lot of time in there that was probably higher than that. And there's a little bit of time that it was definitely lower than that. But it's that idea of like, keep it going, man. Just let's keep it going. Let's mm -hmm. keep it going. And um, I think that so much of that becomes the relationship. Because Starla is going to compare herself to what she was at 35. You know, Robin's going to compare himself to what it was when he was full-time in Europe racing and being in the break at Flesh or Leah. It was Flesh, you were in the break. And, and you know, these epic moments that we're trying to compare ourselves to that might not be relevant right now. And that's where a coach is really important. 
There are more female athletes in endurance sports than ever before. Yet, until recently, female athletes simply followed the advice and protocols that have been designed and tested on men. This is now rapidly changing, and there are a host of experts bringing light to the perils and pitfalls associated with female athletes following guidelines that are male-specific. Check out our latest Craft of Coaching module, Coaching Female Athletes, for expert guidance on coaching women. So this isn't one of our, our main episodes, so we won't do our, our one-minute take-homes, but we're, what I'm thinking would be a good thing to do to kind of finish this up. Let's just go around and have each of us talk about that personal side and, and what's most important about it and, and what you should really be looking for. And maybe I'll start it out. I've mentioned this study a few times. There is a study that is simultaneously one of my all-time favorite studies <laughs> and one I'm absolutely horrified by. Because it's a study that when you look at the title, I, I can't remember exactly what the title is, it implies that software can produce a better training plan than top coaches. And there have been people who have cited this saying, stop using coaches, just go with the software. It's going gonna, it's gonna to train you better. So I had to check out the study. And what the study did was it used a software program to develop a plan. And then it had one of the, I believe it was the, the, the British national team, you know, top, top level cycling coaches develop a training plan for this hypothetical athlete. And then they put in the training software and saw which one produced a higher CTL with a better balance of, of TSB and, and AETL. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and go, that's great, but <laughs> you didn't actually put athletes through these two training plans. And here's the way that that computer-generated plan is going to work. You're going to get an athlete. They'll follow it to a T for a week. The second week, at some point, they're probably going to do a workout and it's not going to go as planned. Some athletes are just going to go, oh, well. Other athletes are going to go, oh, no, what's wrong with me? Right. And I didn't execute that well enough, so now I'm not going to get that perfect CTL, so I better catch up. Mm -hmm. And they're going to start doing, and they're going to have more and more workouts that are going to go badly. And by the time they get to the end of that plan, they're going to be a CTL 30 off of what the original plan is going to get them to completely overtrained and not be performing well at all. Right. And that's the difference between the the reality and the, you know, let's generate some nice numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and that's where you need a coach when things start when the wheels start coming off, the coach can come in and say, let's talk about this. Let's adjust. And can adjust according to the athlete. Because I made that point of some athletes are going to have the bad work. I'm going, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. On. Others it's that's the end of the world. <laughs> oh my God, what do I do now? Yeah. Go ahead, Sarla. The fact that we're not numbers. I mean, the difference between me and Robbie, I mean, we're we're completely, I mean, he's a man, I'm a woman. We're completely different. We have completely different needs. Well, with that attitude, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, and we're racing completely different. It might've been one thing when I was back crit racing, we might have similar, you know, plans and whatnot, but our numbers would still be completely different. But now the fact that I've transitioned over to doing 200 mile races is completely different. So if I'm relying on a program that's you know, giving me numbers and saying, you should do this, you should do that. That's not taking into account who I am as an athlete, my experience on and off the bike. And so I think, yeah, any, if I were to like listen to my Garmin watch, and I'm like, that might work for the general person who's trying to become fit, but it's not taking into account my entire 20 years plus history 
of training and being an athlete. And so I think working with a coach, like the most important thing, and I've had this conversation with a handful of people recently, is that one-on-one relationship. Like when you're looking for a coach, you are getting into a relationship with someone and you better be able to communicate with them. You better like their style of communication. Like if they're just, you know, blowing smoke up your butt and, you know, saying you're wonderful and you're fantastic all the time, they're doing you a disservice. Like if they're saying, I mean, they need to be able to be honest with you and be like, you know, you kind of need to, like, if you actually want to progress and become the athlete and reach the goals that you want to reach, you need to stop screwing around and actually do the work. Or you might need to actually take a rest day. Like they need to be honest with you and also be your cheerleader. Be like, you need to have more faith in yourself. You need to know that you actually did the work and it's going to pay off. And their job and that relationship is you have to trust them. You have to trust everything that they're telling you and that the work that you're doing is what's right for you to reach those goals. Because if you don't trust the work, you're going to be constantly wasting energy, like questioning, am I overtrained? Am I too rested? Should I be doing those 30 hours instead of the 20 that I'm doing? It's You have to have that full belief and trust in your coach. And that comes from communication from you as much as it does from them. Like if they're ignoring you and ignoring your comments and your workouts, then that's not okay. But like, if they just give you a thumbs up, even like, yeah, you did a good job. Then that gives you that confidence and reassurance that, yeah, you did do a good job. And so I I think that relationship is more important than anything because it's just giving you that confidence and one less thing to worry about because as athletes, we worry a ton. Yeah, I'd like to add this, and lest this come off as a uh, hour-long advertisement for paid coaching <laughs> services by half a dozen uh, <laughs> coaches here, um, there are people out there and personalities who who can thrive self being self-coached or following sort of a plan. They're out there, right? But I'd say that they're probably relatively rare to have the the self-awareness to be able to look at yourself from an objective perspective and. I think really one of the big takeaways from this conversation is that what we're looking for with a coach is, you know, not only like sort of uh, maxing out our peak performances, but also avoiding burnout and creating more people who are who are lifers in the in the sport and and keeping more people enjoying the sport and having a coach and having that personal relationship is a is a huge way to, to go about doing that. One of the things that I make that I've made a huge priority with any new client is to get on a video call before we do anything together, um, before I write any workouts or talk about any power numbers or anything like that, is we get on a FaceTime and we just talk for at least an hour. We just try to get to know each other, try to get to know some background and try to understand what you know, not only what your goals are for sports performance, but also just like, who are you? Um, what do you do on a day to day? What's your life like? How can we integrate this, you know, ostensibly fun activity into your life and keep it that way, but also have you make the gains that that you want? Yeah, I think if we think about the overall topic of today's episode, right, and the, the personal side of coaching and, and how there's benefit there compared to computer AI generated training plans, 
I think pretty pretty objectively, everybody is going to say right now, computers can't necessarily do what a coach does, right? And we've talked about our Garmin watches. <laughs> the recommendations are all over the place. Same thing with Whoop, same thing with uh, everything else. At some point in the future, computers might get there. They might be able to write the world's best training plan. Give it enough really great data. I'm sure that it can find trends that a human could never be able to find. And they would say, well, if you did exactly this and exactly that, then your FTP was three watts higher than it was. But coaches are always going to be important. And maybe, maybe, maybe we get to a day where the coach just lets the computer take care of all the training, right? But there is always, as we've been talking about, people are, we're a communal being. We're right? social. We're yeah. social. We love being in this room together, talking with each other. We love listening to podcasts. We love hearing other people's voices, right? And there will always be that element that helps people achieve success, achieve their potential. And that potential, again, is more than just a number. It's the enjoyment. It's the self-fulfillment. It's the self-confidence. It's all of these things that come along with that. And that doesn't necessarily just have to boil down to whether or not you won the race because nine times out of 10, you aren't going to win the yeah. race, but you still need to feel good about yourself. You still need to have fun with what you're doing. So I think, you know, the biggest thing for me in all this is I started coaching at the pool. I was a swim coach and every day I got to watch those kids walk on the pool deck and I could look in their eyes and know, and it's amazing what you can tell when you look in an athlete's eyes. I had a, I had a mentor, just a phenomenal resource at USA Swimming that used to say, when you're talking to an athlete, take your sunglasses off. Let them see your eyes. Let them see how much you care. Let them see how much it matters. And when I say that and I have that conversation, I get on the verge of choking up a little bit because that relationship, that ability, me just saying, look in their eyes, brings back all these memories of all these athletes that I've had the pleasure to look in their eyes and get that relationship and really understand that. And one of the things that's really phenomenal about the coaching relationship, and and to extend on that, you know, I used to say I could look in their eyes and know when they're tired, know when they're fresh. Now, that's what the training peaks comments that Robin talks about are so important. You know, if you know an athlete, you've been working with them for six months and then all of a sudden they drop an F-bomb in the middle of their comments or they're beating the crap out of themselves in their comments. You're going, ooh, red flag, something's going on. Let's talk about this. Let's get on the phone or I just call them up. But that that connection that I've been, I've been really, and, and everybody says this as a placation, but I've been really fortunate in who I've gotten to work with over the years because I've had these athletes like Robin and Starla and like some of the people I've worked with in the past that took a huge chance on me as a coach. And what I mean by that is maybe that my resume wasn't what some of these other people's resumes that were out there that they could, they could work with. And what I always felt like I brought to the table was, okay, Tell me about you. What do you do well? What do you love? What are the workouts that work for you? I remember a conversation that Robin and I had years ago in the coaching relationship where he's like, I really feel like I need more of this. And it would have just been so easy for me to go, no, 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 no. I know better. We're going to do this. And what I did was, and, and I think it was good, <laughs> Robin might be shaking his head furiously saying no, but was to go out there and say, let's incorporate it. Let's figure out how to use it. It's going to build your confidence. Let's do it. And as long as it's not hurting you badly, even if it's hurting you, like 
theoretically hurting you. What you may gain out of that from a self-confidence point of view is really phenomenal. So that two-way relationship between coach and athlete, that reduction of the gap, the power gap between an athlete and a coach, really make it a relationship, really make it the coach is a supporter, the coach is giving direction, but the athlete is the one that's going out and doing the work. And we have to appreciate that. We have to respect that. And we have to give everything we can to support that. Well, thank you, everyone. That was a fun conversation. I'm really glad we have it. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. This was great. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Tweet at us at, at Fast Talk Labs or join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com. Learn from our experts at fasttalklabs.com or keep us independent by supporting us on Patreon. For Grant Holicky, Robin Carpenter, Starlet Hedergreen, and Trevor Connor, I'm Rob Pickles. Thanks for listening.